Ready graphics? Ready theme? Uh, my sensibility more went to the quirkiness of the New Heart show after, because Mary Tyler Moore was just way too skinny and gentile for me, and <laughs> and I couldn't relate. But you know, I just talked about the Partridge Family. I have a theory about that too. In my generation, you're either a Brady Bunch person or a Partridge Family person. So this is one of my favorite questions to ask because we we definitely have some of our favorite secondary characters. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious about if you have any favorite characters that are not Murphy to write for. You know, when I was going through the scripts, I loved writing Jerry Gold because that was signed my character. I like writing male voices, especially if they're incredible assholes. So... Michael Chiklis doing, you know, basically he was yeah. Andrew Dice Clay. And that was an idea we brought in, I think. I loved writing the, that joke, those jokes. I loved writing the anti-women stuff. I thought it was so much fun. It was so easy <laughs> that first of all, <gasps> those were the two characters I really, really loved writing for. Well, and um, those have to zing. Yeah. They have to, they have yeah. to snap. Otherwise they don't work. Yeah, that was really, really fun to write those guys. I would love to go back to Jerry a little, if you don't mind. <laughs> Lauren always wants to go it's back my, to Jerry. One of my okay, favorite characters. Let's go back to Jerry. But also, you know, technically, you are not credited as creating the character, obviously, because he was created or talked about in another episode. But your episode is the first time that we meet Jerry as a person, played by Jay Thomas. So in a sense, you did really create the character. And I would love to talk about your... According to the WGA yes. and, the, and the character creation feed, we created the character. Oh, you did? Oh, technically. Okay. Mm -hmm. We had heard otherwise. So I take back what I said. So you did. No. No, I'm pretty sure we, we got those as character fees. No, I would take your word for it over the internet, believe well, me. Well, no, I wouldn't. I mean, that, just because that, you mentioned somebody off camera does not give you the character fee. We yeah, and we thought that was strange to be honest when we read that. So this honestly makes more sense. Well, there's a lot of wrong things. Like when I was looking up on IMDb, and so he goes is called and so she goes. So um, that's yeah. not right. One of the lists said and so she goes, but anyway. So tell us about why you like writing for Jerry and and how you feel creating the character. Well, you know, he was Jerry Springer, so we had a really good template. And I and Cy, Cy and I both love writing characters that say wrong things, which means we would be in serious trouble right now in, in what's going on. And we would be, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. we would be canceled. I just loved writing the absolute opposite of of what I believed. And so, you know, Jerry was this loud uh, guy. And then when he, you know, it was brilliantly cast by as with Jay Thomas, who I adored, it just was easier. You could just hear his voice in your head. And it got easier and easier. We've spoken a lot about Jerry on the show because he is one of our favorite secondary characters. And it is so interesting because many people who have been on writers have spoken about that on paper, you never would have thought that you would make a character like this, a love interest for, for Murphy. 
Yeah. But the actor inspired, we were told, inspired the writers to make that change. Yes. Well, my memory was that once, yeah, uh, I do remember that 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 became a really interesting idea because they actually do have more in common. He He's the crass side of it, but they're both got big mouths. Yeah. They both piss people off. So why not? And uh, I thought Jay was really kind of sexy. Mm-hmm. We agree. Yeah. We agree. He really had a, a sex sexiness to him. So I thought it was great. Yeah, it's the carriage. It's the it's the way he it's we've talked about this a bit, but it's the way he can deliver those lines and maintain eye contact. Mm-hmm. It's it's the way that they stare at each other. You just, there's no que- watching it. There's just no question. There's no question that it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And the and confidence he has, she can't resist. And still the vulnerability, because if there wasn't that vulnerability, you wouldn't care about this character. You would just think he was a jerk mm-hmm. and you wouldn't understand right. why they were in a relationship well, a, together. A little guy. Yeah. yeah. But I agree with you. I think that they had a lot more in common than they even wanted to admit. And that's why they worked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I mean, they are working in the same business. I mean, from and, you know, Murphy wanted to wrap herself in the nobility of journalism, but it's still about ratings. And it's still about getting the best guess and and being sensational. So they really did have more in common than than she would have liked to admit admitted. I wish I could add like a ton more to um to what I wrote back then. And I went to find old episodes and I couldn't stream any of the old episodes anywhere. Yeah, that's the our, it's so frustrating. It's really frustrating. And 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 I have to say also that's something we 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 actually started this podcast a couple months before the revival was announced. It was just mm-hmm. strange timing. I um, remember that. So we thought that oh yeah, cuz we contacted you first. Um yeah. We were hoping that it would help the show maybe get more visibility to baby stream not that we thought we would have that much influence but like that maybe it might help sort of get it out there um and then of course the revival kind of got shot in the foot because it wasn't streaming so there wasn't sort of a snowball of people or generations of people who have been streaming it and now we're fans of it you know we're we were so young when we watched it so it's it's really quite sad because i really feel like if people watched it they would love it yeah. And then the catch-22 is now they can say, oh, we don't want to pay the exorbitant amount of money because the revival didn't do well. So- and it's frustrating. I Something that I experienced um, is that I entered graduate school and I am of the age where I could biologically be the mother of the undergrads that I was acting opposite. <laughs> and they would hear me talk about the show all the time. And... The number of them that kept being like, oh, I'll go find it and watch it and then we can talk about it. And it's so frustrating because especially this generation of 18 to 22 year olds would love Murphy. They would yeah. love what's being said. They would love how bombastic she is. They would they, they it's so smart and it's so still relevant. And so then a couple of them were like, I watched the revival. I didn't get it. And I was like, I know, I know, I know but you could. Yeah. I, I mean, so many people who want new shows to watch are watching Taxi, are watching Cheers, mm-hmm. are watching Frasier. It's yeah. if it was available, I think people would 
want to watch it. I mean, The Nanny, which obviously is like a little mm-hmm. bit later, but not by that much. It's still in the same, you know, sort of, you know, milieu time period, is huge on HBO Max. Well, we're, we're in this place where people would be open to Murphy Brown coming back with its references because of the concept of the the clarity of looking back. The clarity yeah. of looking at what this character... I mean, the Dan Quayle effect is still referenced. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. so... We always say Dan Quayle ding. But there's this, like... <laughs> What that did in the zeitgeist of the show and current events is happening again. Right. And so being able to to see that and see the history just gives us more of an idea of what we can do. Yeah. And so. in general, you know, the 90s are hot. Yes, they are. <laughs> the clothes are Very, hot. Oh, uh, God, everything. She looks so good. Oh, my God, her clothes. Oh, my God. I would just, I would stand on stage when she'd come out after costume change and she'd go, and she was so beautiful. I mean, Cy couldn't talk to Candace in the Aww. beginning. He was so, she was so down to earth. He was notorious for showing up to parties early. And every year Candace had a party at her house for the writers and the actors. And he showed up early and Candace was on her hands and knees cleaning up her dog poop off the rug. And that's all I need to say about Candace to say that how wonderful she was to work with. I just loved her and how generous and, and kind she was. So that was really funny that she would do that. But one time, so I was sitting on the stage and Candace came down and sat in the director's chair next to him. And he was absolutely did not know what to say. And he was quite a hypochondriac, is quite a hypochondriac. And he turned to her and said, so, what's your cholesterol? (laughs) And she looked at him. She was, I don't know. I haven't had it tested. He came to me and said, oh, my God, what have I done? And it became like this ongoing joke with Cy asking Candace. And then then when we did um, And So He Goes, I remember we got to know her better. And we sat at dinner with her talking about what she went through with that experience and that interview. It wasn't in So He Goes. My God, it was The Unshrinkable. I did it again. And I and I was nodding ahead and, and I was agreeing like, yes, with you. absolutely, that one. Yep. Yeah, and that one. And so we got to talk a lot about that. Um, and that was really, that was really nice. And she became, we got to know her better. I was actually going to get up and see if I have that script that Diane. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. With Diane's notes. Hold on. Oh, yes, please. It was the writer's first draft for Small. I love that episode. Mm-hmm. I do too. And third season's my favorite. And that was really one of those stories that you know we wanted to do. Um, her just saying the wrong thing and insulting a group, and and what group could we pick on? And we thought it was safe to pick on short guys. Because it impacted Miles so beautifully. I know, Miles. I know. I wish I could, like, this wasn't quite a podcast, because I can show you. Look at all those notes that Diane wrote in the margin of our first draft. Oh, wow. Oh, it does look like an English teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and she really was. Okay, it's so like one of them concept here. She likes the joke, but she said, cumbersome joke structure. Flat. It's a teacher. Yeah. It very, is very teacher like. 
And then she'd write in things the way she wanted it said. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's. Oh, that's like a paragraph. Yeah. I know. And nobody does this anymore. No. Yeah. Nobody in sitcom takes the time to do this, to train somebody or to decimate their ego so much. (laughs) Um, But well, the idea of being, of telling them why something doesn't work as opposed to just, it doesn't work. And I always try to do that, um, try to do that when I'm working with a table. And sometimes it just ends up with defensiveness. But I always say, here's why I think this needs to be changed. Because it's just not fair not to give a reason. Also, you might lose out on an opportunity. If, if, if it doesn't work and you say why, you might inspire something that is unforeseen. Right. <laughs> Little specifics like we're talking about. Um, Phil's and uh, there's a line here short ribs courtesy table 18 always the joke was short ribs because it was small and it was picking up and she made the note I don't think there's 18 tables in the whole place (laughs) (laughs) practical yeah yeah there probably isn't so I mean I just learned so much and it was our formative experience and the second season, one of the things I realized when I was going through this was that the second, in between the first and the second season, I got engaged to the man I'm still married to. Congrats <laughs> on that. <laughs> so the second season was really heady. And large. You had 26 episodes that season, the largest amount. Yes. Yeah. Well, a couple of funny things was when they decided, when we read and I don't know if Diane talked about this or anybody else, on another plane, Murphy's near-death experience. It's one of our favorites as well. And mine too. And it read one of the best table reading I've ever had, ever seen in my entire life. And it was 12 minutes long, and there was no way to cut 12 minutes or 10 minutes. So they decided to make a second episode. Let's make it a two-parter. At that point, I had tried on a wedding dress that I couldn't afford. And when I knew I was getting paid for another episode, the first thing I did was run inside and call, put that dress aside. I'm buying it. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) Warner Brothers' decision to extend it one more episode uh, got me my wedding dress. Those little things. It's so real. And um, it started to parallel my life so much that the night they uh, filmed Corky's Wedding. Yes, the season two finale, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't there because I had left the day before to go to my wedding, which was in Carmel, California. So it was out of town. Wow. And I had to ask Diane for the time off to go get married. <laughs> and I was so scared. Um, and she gave me the weekend. Um, but that was the end of the season. More than many places. Yeah, just the weekend. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was, again, over the moon. Corky Sherwood got married the night before, you know, I got married. And her marriage didn't last, though. Yeah, no. No. Um, but, uh, but mine did. So, um, and other things like small, my husband is in small. My husband's six foot five and a half. And there's an elevator scene where Miles steps yeah. on the elevator and everybody's tall. He's in that. 
That's great. Yes. That's so oh, we cool. love finding out that stuff show like was that. so much fun. Yeah, there was so much fun stuff that, you know, back then that just, it was fun. It was really, really fun. One time, I think it was Corby who came and said, oh, we have a problem on the stage for the Bad Girls episode. They didn't get enough hookers for the scene where Murphy is dressed up like a street hooker. Yes. <laughs> they didn't hire enough call girls. Oops. And they said, Denise, I said, I'm in. So I'm in that episode as an extra. No, we've seen the picture, but I didn't know the story behind it. Yeah, the yeah. picture of all of us and and Steve Peterman's wife and Tom Seeley's wife, or girlfriend at that time. No, I think they were. I'm wearing the dress that Corky Sherwood wore at the dinner that same season. It's a green, backless, yes. spangly number. Yeah. When she won the Humboldt. Yep. I love that dress. I love that dress. I have a picture of me wearing it. And that was like magical, getting to do that and be in it. And it was the last time I ever wanted to be an extra, but it was really fun. And then, uh, so my husband was in it. And then my most sentimental episode, the episode I love the most is um, On the Road Again. Mm-hmm. We, that came... You know, it's a really tropey idea, the getting snowed in someplace. But I guess this is where my experience with, um, with having, uh, a journalism background and being in TV journalism was that the idea that they were going to bump, be stuck with local television. And that was another character. Okay. Bitter. I love too. Oh, so good. The bitter, bitter local anchors. Yes. Who haven't made it to network. That was, I knew that, those people. So that might have come from me. I don't know. But Diane was really clear about, like, it's a tropey idea. How can we make it different? How can we make it into something else? And how can we make a character? So the way it went was, you know, it was that rings off, flaps down idea. And it became not about, you know, the odd couple, the neat Nick and the crazy woman sharing a room, Jim and Murphy, it became about Murphy encouraging her, uh, Jim to kind of have a one night stand. And the way he did that was, was I suggested that what if he could play piano in the lounge? So my dad's a jazz pianist. So she said, great. And so I, my dad and I, we both loved Ellington. So we went right for Ellington. And my dad suggested that song, Mr. Saturday Night. So that's why Jim played it. And then my dad is in the band in the beginning. Because when you hire guys to play musicians, they have to be in the musicians union. It doesn't matter that my dad doesn't play bass, but he is there. And at the last minute, I got our our line producer said, can you get just, my dad's in the union. He's done it before. He does it all the time. Can you get him in there? So my dad is in that episode. Oh. So I had my husband in small, my dad's in that one. I'm in a hooker in bad girls. It just was really a really fun place to be and a really fun time and place to be. Oh, you just got me with the dad and Ellington <laughs> thing. Oh my God. Yeah. That my dad's the reason I love Ellington. So I'm just like, oh, yeah. And my, and like Corby would, I'm sure she said that 
Her parents came to every episode, every taping. So did my parents, every one of them. Aww. And Billy Rubick would pick on my mom because she had kind of like, when she was picked on, no sense of humor. So it was just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a really, really, really special experience for me. I'm trying to think if there was anything else that, uh, no, that was the only guest appearances I ever made. I mean, what an appearance. Yeah. What an appearance. Of all the time. Yeah. So. Call girl, excuse me. Then what made you decide to, or you inside decide to move on from Murphy Brown? Um, it was kind of a mutual decision between us and Diane. Um, she had been our mentor. We had been there for three seasons. Um, honestly, I think she wanted to have the budget to scoop up Michael Patrick King and uh, Peter Tolan, and I don't blame her for that at all. So we just thought we needed to get out and do more stuff. And that's fine. And it's actually been kind of, I mean, Sinai, I went solo 17, 18, almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago. And I'm only good for three seasons of a show. I really am. My ADD does not want to stay past three seasons. I understand that. So um, I loved it. They were heading into the pregnancy year, which was really going to be very interesting mm-hmm. um, and controversial. Uh, and got lots of notoriety, and the Dan Quayle stuff was really interesting. But it was kind of time, because, I mean, I'd been her assistant. I'd been, you know, a writer's assistant. And so it was it was just time. I'm curious, uh, speaking of your transition, so one of the other major shows for me was Frasier mm-hmm. uh, growing up. Uh, clearly, I was raised by wordy intellectuals who mm-hmm. loved watching other wordy intellectuals. My first ever national commercial that I booked was because they asked me to sing a TV show theme, and I sang Toss Salad and sang. Oh, it's good really job. Excellent. that was the first thing I had. And they were like, you're weird. We'll book you. <laughs> so, I but I'm curious, because when I look at your credits, I'm surprised, because I think that you wrote more for it, but you actually have way more credits as a producer uh, than you did as a writer. What was the difference for you in those roles? Um, These are WJ you know, signifiers. It's, Mm -hmm. there is, I am always amazed how um, Hollywood loves to care so much about everybody else when we are in the most striated business in the world. We literally have people above the line and below the line, a term still used today. So that's where I was high. We were, it's really more of that. And Frasier was, was not, was a very competitive field and a very competitive room and really difficult, really challenging to find that show. So yeah, I was in more for editing, uh, casting for the first season was turned over to us to sign myself. They wanted people to be trained and they trained by just throwing you in the water. So that was more, more that experience. Yeah, that show was a machine. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Did you feel much of the impact of being a cheer spinoff? No. No, because it was so different. The bigger impact was when they moved us in the first season from following Friends to Tuesday Night. 
And we thought, oh, fudge. This is not, not going to be good. And it came up and worked. And it really did work. Well, it's such a strong first season. I think that, you know, once the audience found it, plus it was a built-in audience too as well because of Cheers. Sure. But, you know, the it just shows that you didn't need the lead-in. No. And that was amazing. Season one has one of my favorite episodes, the um, My Coffee with Niles. Oh, yeah. They just stay in Cafe Nervosa yeah. the entire time. And I'm always surprised when I realize that's still the first season. I know. I know. It's... Those characters were so great. And, you know, they tried so many ways. Kel, I mean, the story goes, and and I'm probably not the one who should tell because I wasn't there, but the story goes that, you know, they were looking for something for Kelsey at Paramount, looking and looking and looking. And finally, they said, why don't we just do a Frasier spinoff? And one of the head executives casting said, and we saw this guy on Broadway. Who could be his brother? And that was how it worked. And when the guys wrote it, it's interesting. Peter Casey, who was one of the uh, creators and producers who came from Cheers, his wife was my college roommate. And um, yeah, and they had courted in our dorm room. And she had sung at my wedding to tie it in. And um, yeah, it gets, yeah, it's pretty fun. And I never asked him while I was coming up for one favor ever because they were too big and I didn't want it to impinge on that relationship. Yeah. And that was that. And then they contacted us and said, gosh, we know you're doing serious work on Roseanne and it's really serious work, but we're going to do this light little show called Frasier. Would you like to meet on it? And said, so, oh, Okay. We met for breakfast and we watched the pilot and thought, yeah, it's, it's kind of more sitcom-y than Roseanne. It's more typical, but but I think this would be kind of fun to do. And and um, when I was on shows after Frasier, I would pitch things or say things in the room. And I had one very dear friend of mine would say, were you naturally pretentious or did Frasier do this to you? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had to know. I'm sorry. I just used the word etagere. And I said, you had to know what an etagere was if you were working on Frasier. Certainly yeah. in the beginning. Uh, Frasier helped me with my SATs for absolute <laughs> sure. I remember because I would have to study, you know, and then at nine o'clock I could start watching television, Frasier or Murphy Brown. And I remember studying words and then watching Murphy Brown and Frasier and going, oh, that word was on my my cards and then remembering it because I saw it in the show. I know. Oh, yeah. Between shows like Frasier, Aaron Sorkin, Murphy Brown, I'm pretty sure that's the reason I didn't have to say, take uh, freshman composition in wow. college because of my ACT score. <laughs> they were like, you're you're fine. <laughs> hey, I'm learning. I'm learning six different languages from watching TV, from watching foreign. Oh, TV yeah. Now. And <laughs> no, you can't follow French. I'm sorry. I can't follow it. <laughs> I can follow Hebrew easier, but um, I learned the word dubious from the Partridge family. True. Because the daughter, uh, what was her name? She she got an award that she, like, 
some sexist award, and she said, this dubious distinction. And I ran to the dictionary to find out what dubious was. And I never, never, um, never forgot it. We would love to hear about some of your influences. Corby always said that, you know, she was totally influenced by, by Mary Tyler Moore. And, and I, my sensibility more went to the quirkiness of the Newhart show after, because Mary Tyler Moore was just way too skinny and Gentile for me. And, <laughs> and I couldn't relate, but you know, I just talked about the Partridge family. I have a theory about that too. In my generation, you're either a Brady Bunch person or a Partridge family person. Yes. The Brady Bunch person, again, little too perfect. Kids all matched, all blonde, all Gentile, way too happy. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a Partridge family. Single mom, shyster, crooked kid, crooked agent. Thank God, not Jewish. Um, <laughs> that was my life because my dad was a musician and it was ragged. So... You're either a Brady Bunch or you're a Partridge family. You, you can't, you got to pick a side. Yeah, we are definitely a Partridge family. family. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah, I never could get into the <laughs> Brady Bunch, although, I, but I did watch a lot of Bewitched and uh, I Dream of Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Dick Van Dyke. Bewitched, I didn't, oh, I love Dick Van Dyke. More and than Mary Tyler Moore, yeah. Everyone was like, Mary Tyler Moore is the best. And I'm like, I would rather watch her in black and white. yeah. And yeah, and the other, although the pilot, which I, I've used when I've taught and I have in script form, mm-hmm. pilot is fucking brilliant. Yeah. The most brilliant character comedy. I mean, and bits in there that are so funny. So funny. There's a scene with her being, when she's, Mr. Grant is interviewing her and he's asking all these inappropriate questions. Like, are you married? Why aren't you married? How old are you? What religion are you? And and she finally gets. Can we go back to the religion question? When he finally asks her, "Are you, why aren't you married?" Can we go back to the religion question? <laughs> That's and a was really great really, scene. Really funny. Yeah, yeah. And and you uh-huh. know the chuckles episode, which is the first episode I ever saw. Because I mean, we we're so lucky that we also grew not just grew up on reruns, but grew up on Nick at Night. Yeah. Oh, Which, that's right. Everything was on Nick at Night. Everything was on Nick at Night. But they also told yep. you, this is a very important episode of Mary Tyler Moore. This is the top 10 episodes of Mary Tyler Moore. Here are the top 10 episodes of sitcoms. And so, it, as well as Paley Center specials as well. But, like, it wasn't just that there were the reruns. Nick at Night really couched it in history to go, you need to pay attention to this episode. So I watched that episode before I watched any other episode of the show. And and then also, you know, Rhoda, as a Jewish woman, was, yes, even though she's not Rhoda. played by a Jewish woman, mm-hmm. um, was something that I didn't see a lot, even in the 90s, you know, except for the nanny. Mm-mm. Exactly. I mean, it led to a, it led to that brilliant uh, face-off in Romy and Michelle's high school reunion when they argued about who's the Mary and who's the Rhoda. Right. Like, that that went for so long, that, that duo. And I was, was the so Rhoda. Specific. I think that's why I had a hard time, you know. I, I mean, I still watched it and I still loved it, but yeah. I didn't. There were other things I loved more. Although I have to say, I I recently, um, I, I my dad likes to say I was born during an episode of Mary Tyler Moore. So I watched the episode of Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda that were on the day I was born. And huh. the Mary Tyler Moore episode held up and the Rhoda episode was extremely dated. Yeah, yeah it it wasn't as well written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it, it was all about the marriage, too, and it got really tiring. Well, this one was after she was divorced, and it was really about a stalker guy who kind of, like, she well, not really, but he like kept trying to like get on a date with her, and she kept saying no. And so then he lied to her oh. to get her on a date. And then she, he they came back to her apartment, and she goes, "So I don't want you to come in." And he walks in anyway. Every, he, everything Sounds she good. asked for, she would say no. And then finally, she let him ki- kiss him, <sighs> and the audience was so excited and happy, you know, that he got to kiss her because he wouldn't let up. So yeah. Well, we're still unpacking that today. Yes. So no worries. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. I was really taken aback because she kept saying no. Like, it wasn't like they were, like, making it. She kept saying no. And then, of course, the kiss was fantastic, and she didn't let on to it until he left. There's no way a man with that lack of awareness would be a good kisser. There's no way. (laughs) And there's no way a loudmouth Jewish broad would not have, like, kicked him in the nuts by then. You know, just get out of my face. You know what it makes me think of? This is actually going back to the beginning, Denise, when you were talking about liking to write those horrible men, mm-hmm. which is, it, it's, it reminds me of a the moment in Waiting for Guffman when Eugene Levy says, you know, everyone asked, were you the class clown? And I said, no, but I sat behind him and I took notes. And there's something about, I've noticed a lot, I you know, was with a theater company for almost 10 years, did it mostly comedy. And I always noticed that the women wrote terrible men better than the men did. And the men were trying to write these characters, but no one found them as funny. And I realized it felt very much like, as women who have had to experience these men, we took notes and we know how to ruthlessly write them in a way that the men keep trying to forgive in the process. And it's not funny. That's true. And I think it's hard for men to want to see themselves that way. Yeah. And you need it's perspective. Just difficult. Yeah. But yeah. I can write horrible women too. I love writing horrible women. I like to write. Sai and I wrote a um, pilot. It was really, I think, our best work, but it, the time it was very bad that was based loosely on uh, Marge Schott, who used to own the Cleveland uh, Red. Yeah. She was this ridiculous. It wasn't so much that she she was racist to begin with, but oh, she, I do remember we, her now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm getting a visual. I was like, there's a picture name? of her this close on a on a um, Sports Illustrated cover. My husband was reading. I said, "That's a that's a joke. That is a sitcom." <laughs> and but we really didn't go for the racism part. I mean, she said wrong things, but we went yeah. for the fact that she had been marginalized by the business. She was cheap. She was angry. She was bitter. And we played with those qualities. And she was not. I like writing people who are wrong. (laughs) Well, true equity is that we can all be assholes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Satisfying. (laughs) Are there any stories or ideas or questions, things that we haven't covered that you would like to talk about? Before we close, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it was, I mean, really, it was my 20. It was my last part of my 20s. And it mm-hmm. was, and I got married during that time. I mean, it was so freaking magical time in my life um, that I'm kind of divorced from the actual writing of it. It's just so strange. Mm-hmm. Um, no, um, 
you know, I'd say the most proud thing was when we would come in with a story that, that added to, you know, the canon. And one of my favorite was, um, Subpoena Envy. Good. Which is a love, we love that one. Yeah. Which was a clever title that I I did come up with or I might have stolen. It's really good. I'm, yeah, that one I was proud. What happened was, I think Diana, we had been towing with the idea of of Murphy getting subpoenaed. So I did some research. I called and did some research. I don't know who I called a journalist friend or something, somebody about it or a lawyer friend who said, gave us the clue that. Journalists love to be subpoenaed. And we went, what? Oh my God. Yeah. The publicity and, and, and everything is great. So, and then they, in doing that research, we also found out that if you're subpoenaed, you go to the minimum, uh, security prisons, you go to the comfy prisons. So that gave us the two ends, the two parts of the story so nicely was, Here's Murphy, so freaking proud that she's not going to give up a source. She's never going to give up a source. Never. I'm getting subpoenaed. And I think we used the term subpoena envy somewhere in there. And then that she ends up in this minimum security, cushy prison that she just hates. And and the women who played the other inmates were so funny. Oh, they were great. Oh, oh they it's were such so a, good. Such a great episode for women. Like we, mm-hmm. we were raving about those those actresses, and and they're still well. They're two of them it. are still working today. But Christine Rose was in the Murphy. We uh, not the Murphy. The my sister Sam. We pitched. Um, I oh really? I pitched an idea that happened to my and that I love when things come into your own life. It happened to my husband's mother was an entrepreneur, and everything was done out of her home, and. She got audited, so they got audited at home. So their family's behavior had to change because the auditor was coming to look at the books in the house. So he couldn't take the car that she would use for business. And there were all these things. So I pitched that to Diane and, and she was the one, she made the auditor a woman. So that was the first thing we turned over. And it was Christine Rose. And she's a complete, by the book, horrible person until she gets broken up with on the phone and then becomes a sad sack. Oh, I do remember this one. It was really funny. And Christine Rose was amazing. She's a really great actress. Yeah, we've been trying to get her on the show, but we can't seem to reach her. Christine, come to us. Uh, The other actress, Lauren, was Nancy Lenahan, who played Sydney. That's it. Oh, yeah. She's a genius. Yep. You see, she's still working. I see her constantly oh yeah tons of stuff it's so great i one of my favorite things watching especially the shows from uh the 80s uh that i grew up on are seeing these actors or showing them as i'm you know walking my husband through one of like the great paychecks of the 80s is seeing these people mean like yeah it's that person that person you have seen in everything they're 20 in this or look at this amazing character actress i i hate using that phrase because it implies that now that i'm over 30 now i'm this weird amorphous creature but seeing these women who are in their (laughs) mid-40s playing these roles and we're still seeing them and stuff now i know it's so exciting um yeah that was a really really fun episode and uh i think i don't have any other 
things to say. You gave us so okay. much. So much, yeah. <laughs> you Well, you interviewed Russ, right? Mm-hmm. He's a sweetheart. Love him. And, and Steve. Norm. Norm, yes. And then Steve Peterman was always incredibly generous to me. When we were first on the table and I was scared to pitch and I'd say something kind of in a half voice or did get hurt, he'd be the first to say, hey, Denise had a pitch. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's he was great. really lovely. And um, he was really good about that. And I, I thought that was very sweet. Yeah, he still that's brings nice that energy. Hear. But I was a baby. But yeah, it was a magical time. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it was really fun sharing that with us and some of those yeah those personal anecdotes that we wouldn't know otherwise because it really adds to what we're especially going into the episode we're about to go into knowing that about your dad yeah that's really exciting yeah and i just uh it's it's such a a wonderful two-hander between them i just i yeah. just love it um, and i i love that the characters get to breathe that it's not yes. joke 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 that it's really about their relationship mm-hmm and it really struck me at first where I was like so like tuned in and I was like, oh, this is getting very serious. This is no, there's really not a joke at anyone's expense for a bit. Um, and then also Charles Kimbrough getting to sing. I know. <sighs> Denise, if you don't know my intense love of Charlie Kimbrough and Jim Dial, I'm so excited. To I do know. This That's her guy. <laughs> He's my man. I loved, I loved that. It was so fun. And every time I, I stood on the stage and heard him rehearse it or and run through I would get like tingles down my spine so magical and it was so magical to find discover that and you could imagine like somebody of his you know having the ability to to sit down at a piano and entertain like that I mean it wasn't like this bizarre thing it was just it was so fun he also sings like Jim. Like, I don't yeah, he think does. he's singing yeah. like he is on the company, you know, cast yeah. album. But he's still good, but it's still, like, believable that he's singing like his character, which I also appreciate. He taught me more about comedy directing in one line, and I don't know what episode it was. Oh, I wish I had Corby's writing. But Corby rewrote a lot of it. The ones that didn't go through Corby are my proudest achievements because I just meant it went to Diane and she did a touch-up. Mm-hmm. And that meant we did one draft or maybe two. And that meant that we nailed the draft, which always made me really excited. And we nailed that one. Uh, and we nailed um, the first one of the, that we did in the second. It was the Andrew Dice Clay one. And oh, we nailed brown it. And, brown and blue. So Diane, Diane caught, you know, says, hey, you guys nailed this. You don't have to do another draft. So everybody was off. We were, it was pre-production. So everybody was off. So I had two days off and I flew out to Washington to see a girlfriend. <laughs> and I was so excited. Those little triumphs at the beginning of your career are just amazing. But there was something I was in the process of telling you, but when that came Oh, up. about a line that Charles Kimbrough. Oh, there was a line yeah. that Jim Dahl says about a reporter being sent to South Yemen. And he puts the emphasis on South. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know exactly which line. You know the one I'm... You're an actress. You would remember we that. know that. Yeah. We covered that episode already, I believe. This is why it's so fresh. When he did that, South Yemen, it was beyond fall down funny. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where I started learning and watching really good actors make comedy choices and going, okay, that was a brilliant choice. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorites. That man could, especially as Jim, I mean, Charlie Kimbrough is an incredible performer, but as Jim, that man's ability to create the highest stakes in the least amount of words and just stare into the distance. <laughs> I know. So good. He was, yeah, he was fun. He, and he was, he was easy to write for. He was, his voice was so distinctive. He was a joy to write for. And then he'd do things like South Yemen that would just kind of like blow you away. All right. Well, I've taken enough of your time. Oh, we've taken enough of your time. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is a very fun walk down memory lane. South Yemen. <laughs> South Yemen. <laughs> For at least a year.